Welcome to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast, an introspective look at video gaming from the classic era to the modern day. Now here is your host, Brian. Hey folks, what's going on out there? Brian here, and this is episode number 69 of the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. Okay, this is the podcast surrounding the Connecticut trip, so uh, at the top here I'm not going to go into that, and we'll go from there. Um, Let's see, what's been going on since I got back, since I'm going to be talking about the trip in in earnest? Uh, Let's see, since I got back it's just been more of the same, just working and taking care of, you know, the house and my son and my girlfriend, you know, uh, there's a bit of, uh, illness going around in the house. My girlfriend's got bronchitis, and my son has a bout with croup, which is weird, because that's a illness that only, like, infants and toddlers get, but from what his doctor told us, that it happens with, you know, children, uh, older than toddler age, which is weird, but, you know, it is what it is. I feel bad for him because he's coughing up a storm. It's starting to go away, but it's one of those things that takes a long time to shake. So, you know, better that than COVID anyway, I guess. So let's see. Um, yeah, like I posted on uh, Instagram and Facebook, and I think I put it on Tumblr too. Um, I was uh, playing games on Saturday before my shift, and after not touching the machine in at least three or four months, I broke a million on Robotron again, which is kind of interesting, you know? (laughs) It's like, it's almost like I've been playing this game constantly since I got, what is it, a million, just a little short of a million five on uh, Robotron, so... That was pretty cool. And then, just before I started my shift, uh, I went over to the Medusa machine and started playing it, and I finally broke the high score on that machine. Thank goodness, I've been trying for months. Um, And, you know, I finally was able to do it. I was finally able to sort of plan out what the strategy was for getting the best score possible. You know, like I covered Medusa in a uh, Silver Ball segment um, a couple of episodes ago, the best thing to do is keep it up in the second play field and keep hitting the drop targets and hitting the A and B targets behind them and then uh, getting the ball in the kickout hole on the left. That gives you a really good uh, bonus score and it also advances your uh, final uh, bonus score at the end of your third ball. And that's the majority of where a lot of your points come from, especially if you get the uh, bonus multipliers going, and I was able to do that. So, yeah, I got, like, what, 855,000? The previous high score was, like, 758, and I figure I'll just keep playing it, and I'm going to try and get uh, a million on it, and we'll see what happens. So, oh, there's that going on. Um, Aside from that, just the usual things, working... And, you know, paying the bills, the usual adulting stuff, you know how it is. Okay, so I actually have a Facebook message, so I'm going to read it for you guys right here. 
it is from Lord Sosa. And he says, Hello, Lord Sosa here. I'm a really big fan of the show. It's great, and I've listened to every episode. I really enjoy when you do your breakdown on games. If you could pick one of these and do a breakdown, that would be great. Uh, and he gives me a list. He uh, Something out of the Mega Man franchise, uh, Legend of Zelda Link to the Past, Biker Magus from Mars on the SNES, Kid Chameleon, uh, the Sega Channel. Actually, I'm probably going to do that one because that one's the most interesting out of the ones you've given me. Um... My favorite NES game is Mario 3. My favorite Sega game is Shining Force. You and me both. Uh, my favorite SNES games are Super Mario World and Link to the Past. My favorite, uh, my three favorite arcade games are Ultimate, Mortal Kombat 3, Capcom vs. SNK 2, and Marvel vs. Capcom 2. I hope this stream goes on forever, and I look forward to hearing your thoughts on one of these games. Thanks, and keep up the good work. Lord Sosa. Thank you very much, Lord Sosa, for your Facebook message. Um, I will definitely do the Sega channel because I have no experience with the Sega channel, and I only heard about it, like, secondhand. So I'll be interested to see uh, what the actual skinny is with that. So I'll tell you what. And f actually, and silly me, I forgot to say this, I'm also streaming live on Twitch right now. Um, let's see, so what I'm going to do, let me open up my little episodes, uh, Google page, and let's see, where can I put that? That's an RU Experienced, uh, let's see, uh, da 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 can't do it there, can't do it there, uh, let's see, I can put it... I can put it, oh, let's see, um, hmm, all right, I'm going to put this at the bottom of the list, I'm going to have to figure out a place to put it, um, let's see, as you can hear, I'm typing this out, so the Sega channel, okay, I will do that, oh, uh, let's see, hmm, because I have Are You Experienced segments, going from this one, episode 69, all the way out to uh, episode 105, and things of that nature. So, um, I will figure out a place to put it. Uh, let's see, I can probably put it... You know what? Episode 93 is empty. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put it there. I, it's going to take a while, uh, Lord Sosa, but... I will get to it, I promise. Um, putting it in episode 93 right now because it doesn't have an Are You Experienced uh, segment in it. Of course, that's also bare bones. It doesn't even have a title. I think as once I get closer to that episode, and if I do an episode once a month, let's see, I'm at 69 now. Uh, let's see, so 81, that's a year. 94 so it'd be like um i'd say probably like october of 2025 i think when i get to that hopefully you'll be listening and of course I, hopefully i'll be putting out episodes in you know 2025 you know that's a couple of years from now so we'll see what happens so okay uh so like 
Lord Sosa. You can also get a hold of me uh, through Facebook, uh, Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, and Tumblr, um, and through my email, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Also, I have the correct phone number. <laughs> As it turns out, I had the wrong phone number listed, or not listed, but I had two numbers in the phone number uh, uh, reversed in the phone number, but I finally got it correct. The correct phone number for voicemails is area code 734-623-0832. And like I said, I am also on Facebook, Twitter, Blue Sky, Instagram, and Tumblr. I stream on Twitch. I might be going to kick also. Um, we'll see what happens there. But all of these links now, they're all in one place, and that's on Linktree. And my address there is linktr.ee slash arcadeaddictbrian. And I have everything listed there, multiple ways of getting hold of me. I've, as you can uh, see, I've expanded out a little bit. Uh, I'm trying to expand my social media footprint, if you will, which is one of the reasons why I haven't gotten rid of my Twitter account yet, because even though I think it's a dumpster fire, but I'm going to keep it for now. If it gets any worse, um, then yeah, I'll just go away from, walk away from it and not think twice about it. But for right now, I'm going to keep it. Uh, let's see. So with all that done, uh, once again, this is the, uh, episode for the Connecticut trip and we will get right on to that I've got let's see how many segments uh four segments so this is going to be a lot of talking <laughs> because I I had a lot of thoughts and I had a lot of uh things to relate to you guys so let's get right on to it and we will start off with Arcade Rundown Mr. Phelps. Your mission, Jim, should you decide to accept it, is to make Stefan believe Thompson's information. As always, should you or any of your IM force be caught or killed, the secretary will disavow any knowledge of your actions. This state will self-destruct in five seconds. Good luck, Jim. Okay, arcade rundown. The fun spot slash the ACAM in Laconia, New Hampshire. Okay. I've been hearing about Funspot for years and years. They were officially recognized as the world's biggest arcade by Guinness, even though they have been surpassed by Galloping Ghosts in the number of machines and actual games, and in all honesty, Underground Retrocade is right behind them in terms of the number of video game machines. Uh, there's been a rather nasty rivalry that has developed between Funspot and GGA for a number of years now, with Funspot being unwilling to relinquish the crown, mostly because they hang their hat on being the world's biggest arcade and being in the business since 1952. I mean, nobody can dispute that, you know, they have the longevity on their side. That's, what, 71 years now? Uh, but to continue... Uh, more recently, they've made the transition to becoming an actual non-profit arcade museum, calling the arcade the American Classic Arcade Museum. So, once I was able to finance a trip back to the Northeast to visit friends and family, I carved out an, an entire day to be able to go to Funspot. After a three-and-a-half-hour drive, I arrive and walk in the door. The first thing I noticed was how open it was. Just walking in the door, there were Bally Sente machines to my left, 
and cocktail machines to my right. That's a pretty good start. Walking further in, there was a large family area with picnic tables to my right, and the maid arcade was to my left. Uh, there was another large play area attached to the family area, and near the entrance was a flight of stairs going down to another area. But seeing how I was somewhat pressed for time, only having about three hours to spare before I had to get back on the road, uh, I got $20 in tokens, because uh, I didn't have any cash on me, I had to use my card, and the only option is to get $20 in tokens, I started playing games. Uh, there is an arcade streamer that I follow on Twitch called Falcor781, I've talked about him before. Uh, he came up here a, a year or two ago, and I asked him at the time how the machines were, and he told me in no uncertain terms that a lot of the games did not work well or properly, and that was the case for my visit as well. There were quite a few games that were down, more that were not working properly, and more that were in need of maintenance. Several needed their monitors recapped or replaced because the displays were so dim as to make the games just short of unplayable. Several pinball machines were in serious need of leveling. Uh, for example, the Matahari machine had a very nasty tilt to the left. But it wasn't all bad news. The machines that worked properly played wonderfully. The environmental Star Trek was a joy to play, as was the Xerion machine, the Bank Panic machine, the Super Sprint machine, and several others. I had fun for the time I was there, just not as much fun as I would have liked. If you're advertising as the world, world's biggest arcade, the machines should do more than look the part. If the machines are in good working order, that's how you get repeat customers and a good reputation. I've since talked to Falcor during his stream and told him that he was right, and another viewer of his stream said at the time, quote-unquote, standard fun spot, fun spot procedure. I wish that wasn't so, but it is. And that's my honest assessment uh, and breakdown of, or rundown, I should say, of Funspot. So, I'm pretty sure this is going to get some of the, uh, shall I say, uh, more dedicated uh, customers to Funspot coming out of the woodwork. But hey, you know, if you've got a difference of opinion, hey, as long as you're nice, you talk to me, arcadeaddictbrian at gmail.com. Okay, moving on from there, let's go into story time. Bodies are given life in the midst of nothingness. Existing where there is nothing is the meaning of the phrase, form is emptiness. That all things are provided for by nothingness is the meaning of the phrase, emptiness is form. One should not think that these are two separate things. Okay, story time. Uh, the overview of the Connecticut trip and what happened. Uh, I decided to do this as a day-by-day -day breakdown. Uh, there wasn't quite enough that happened that pertains directly to this podcast uh, for me to break it down into multiple episodes. I mean, there are some on-the-road thoughts and stuff that I had uh, throughout the trip, and I might post those, I might not. It all depends. So, anyway... Uh, let's get right on to it. Alright. Uh, I haven't been to my home state since 2005, the year after my mother passed away. I remember that I'd planned a, a vacation around getting my stuff out of my stepfather's apartment. 
Uh, I went to Springfield, Massachusetts, just to check out the Basketball Hall of Fame, then visited friends and several members of my family before renting a Penske truck, packing up everything that belonged to me, and drove the 10 hours plus back to Michigan. That was 2005. That's the last time I was actually in my home state. Uh, to say that this trip was overdue was an understatement. I realize that now. Uh, but being in the various stages of brokeditude and raising a child doesn't lend me very many opportunities. But I did promise myself that because I do so much for so many others, every two years I would take time for myself and do something that I want to do. That started with a trip to Chicago, which was well documented in this podcast. I could have easily gone back out there and drove a car up to Madison, uh, Wisconsin, because there are a bunch of arcades up there that I would I want to check out, as well as the ones in Chicagoland, including some that I missed the first time I was there, and of course revisiting a few that I went to the first time. Uh, but I realized that I had not seen the majority of my family and friends since 2005, and some even before then. So I immediately started making plans to take a trip home to Connecticut. Uh, thanks to some financial relief, uh, I was able to get started a couple of months prior, and I was able to take this trip. What follows is a day-by-day -day breakdown of the trip. If each day I was there had more relevance to the podcast, like going to a different arcade every day, I would have broken the trip up into multiple episodes like I did with the Chicago trip. So, here we go. Day one, which was a Wednesday. Um, it did not get off to a good start because my stress over packing everything that I would need, and I still missed some things, uh, and my insomnia struck hard the night before, so I ended up leaving home only having slept about two hours. I drove uh, downtown and parked my car there and took the air ride to the airport. Uh, arriving at the airport, everything went off without a hitch. Uh, the flight left in good order in good time got into hartford in good time and i was able to debark from the plane and get my uh luggage from baggage claim without any problems thankfully um let's see and the car rental went just fine uh that was the most stressful part of the trip because i was worried that i wasn't going to be able to rent the car but you know that went off just fine so it was everything. Everything worked out good. I got the car, uh, got behind the wheel, pat, you know, of course, threw all my stuff in it. And about 35 minutes later, I was in my hotel room after getting something to eat for lunch. I basically spent the rest of the day relaxing and uh, sleeping because I was in dire need of rest. Okay, uh, day two. Uh, after sleeping in and being moderately lazy, I got myself together and drove down to Bridgeport. Uh, I started by going to and walking around my own old mall, which fun funnily enough is now called Trumbull Mall. Never mind that it's been called that for years and years and years, which but I think that also tells me that there's new management there. As with most malls in the modern day, it's maybe about 50% occupied, and it was interesting trying to get my bearings in there and remembering what was wh what was where back in my mall rat and mall employee days. Uh, that, of course, was from, what, 1978 until 2000 and, no, excuse me, not 2000, excuse me, until about 19, late 1992, you know, so, yeah, about 14 years, you know, uh, first being a mall rat, hanging out, hanging out in the arcade and stuff like that, 
and then actually working in stores in the mall. You know, I worked at the Arby's in the mall. Uh, I worked at the Nintendo kiosk. You know, I talked about that in a previous episode. So, yeah, I, to say that this mall had uh, a large impact on my life is a bit of an understatement. But let's continue. Uh, let's see. I did do a video recording of uh, while I was walking around the mall. And I might post it. I might not. I'm undecided. I'll, f I'll think about it and we'll go from there. If I do, it'll probably be either on uh, Facebook or Instagram. Uh, as it's a fairly long uh, video, or maybe even I'll post it on YouTube, because yeah, I do have an Arcade Addict Brian uh, YouTube page. Uh, but anyway, to continue, uh, after leaving the mall, I drove down Park Avenue, and I was absolutely shocked at how big Sacred Heart University had gotten. It now basically dominates a large section of Park Avenue on the north end of Bridgeport, right up to the Trumbull uh, Bridgeport town line. And it reminded me of a little bit of how the University of Michigan is, just in smaller scale. Uh, from there, I drove downtown, then over to the east end of Bridgeport, where I used to live. And as always, it blows me away at how different my hometown has become, even in the last 18 years. Uh, from there, I decided to go over to my uncle's house and pay him a visit. A surprise visit, actually. It took me a little bit to find his house but once I did, I just got out of the car and went up to the front door and knocked on it. Um, his wife, my uncle's wife, my Aunt Nelda, answered. And it took her a good five to seven seconds to recognize who I was. And when she did, I got a very warm welcome. And she took me to the back porch where my uncle was, who had just finished mowing the lawn. He was absolutely shocked to see me, as the last time he saw me was the day we laid my mother to rest. Uh, we spent the next hour and a half talking and reminiscing. Uh, my cousin Rhonda showed up, who was visiting before she was going on a trip herself, and Aunt Nelda called my cousin Renee, and we talked over the phone for a little bit. Uh, my Aunt Karen, who is living with them now, came downstairs, and it was good to see her too. Like I said, my Aunt Karen is, I always looked at her as an older sister rather than an aunt. And that's kind of how she looked at me, like a little brother. Um, after exchanging phone numbers and information, I took a picture of them, gave them all hugs, and got back on the road. From there, I drove to the Connecticut Post Mall in Milford, and I walked around it and recorded a fairly emotional voice recording that I might or might not share uh, with you guys uh, while I was trying to process the visit with my uncles and aunts. Uh, I then drove to New Haven to meet my buddy Edgar at the Barcade downtown. After getting dinner, my man showed up while I was playing a game of Asteroids, and we spent another hour or so just catching up. Uh, we got a wild hair about showing up at my best friend Robert's house, which was about two miles away from where Edgar lives, ironically enough. Uh, we found out from his mom that he was overseas with his wife and would not be back till Sunday. Uh, we apologized for disturbing her and said we, we would be back on Monday. Uh, I dropped Edgar off after taking a cheesy selfie of us. Um... Did I post that? Yeah, I did. I posted that on Instagram, actually. Uh, and then I went back to my hotel and called it a night. That was a good day, to be sure. Okay, day three. Uh, this was one of the most emotional days in my life, for sure. Uh, in the morning, I called the cemetery where my mother, brother, and grandparents are buried and had them mark their graves for me to visit because, with the exception of my grandfather, they do not have headstones. 
uh, I drove down and on the way talked to my aunt Sterling and then went and got some got something to eat across from the way excuse me, across the way from the Taco Bell on North Avenue and Lindley Street was the old site of Spanky's Arcades, which was a store, which is a, a storage facility now. Uh, the old Coke Towers of D'Addario construction are still there, surprisingly enough. Um, after getting the call that the grave sites were marks, marked, I should say, uh, I took a deep breath and made my way over to the cemetery. The next hour was filled with words of greeting and farewell, and the conversation with my mother was about the hardest thing I've done since her funeral. I wish she could have seen my son because she was after me for a long time to give her a grandchild. <laughs> I half-jokingly told her that she would probably would have kidnapped him because she would have loved him so much. After taking some more time to recover emotionally, I drove back up to Meriden to see my friend Chris, and we spent a great hour and a half talking and catching up on all that took place since we last met in 2005. He's doing very well for himself, and I'm glad for that. He had a rough upbringing. After parting ways, I made my way back to the hotel and called it a night. Day four, and this is a Saturday. Uh, it was a busy day. I woke up early and drove back down to Bridgeport to have breakfast with my aunt Sterling and my cousin Miles. We had a nice conversation and meal at the Galaxy Diner, which I've talked about throughout the podcast, but specifically episode two. After that, I flew over to the southeast side of the state to Norwich. By flew, I mean drive. <laughs> um, to meet up with a close friend to watch her grandson's soccer game. Afterwards, I met her mother and we all hung out for the rest of the afternoon before I had to go to North Haven to meet up with my friends Mark and Steve. We hung out in Mark's studio, played some video games and pinball. He has two um, JAMA cabinets and two pinball machines in his uh, in his little the in the room that he's going to turn into his studio because, like I've said before, he's. Uh, uh, making music now he just put out an album called dystopiac and under the name mj ross look for it on um you know spotify i think amazon has it pretty much anywhere you can get your music itunes wherever you get your music you can probably find it i love it i've i've listened to his album several times and it's awesome you know i even told him it was like i while i was listening to his uh album i felt like i was you know, watching the third Tron movie uh, playing in my head. So that was pretty cool. Um, so after uh, Steve arrived, we hung out for a little bit longer, and then we uh, made his, we piled in his car and we made our way over to a pool hall in Brantford. You know, it was like going all the back to 1985. Um, the food was excellent. The camaraderie was even better. And after playing 10 games of pool, of which I won three, we adjourned back to Mark's house and we listened to and talked to about music until two in the morning where I had to tap out and head back to my hotel because I had a long day ahead of me tomorrow. Day five, which is Sunday. Uh, I woke up early and got on the road to make the trek up to Laconia to Fun Spot. You know, I've already had, you know, spoke my thoughts on the place and you know that was the previous segment i could only spend three hours there before driving back right back down to wallingford connecticut to visit my cousin michael uh we watched the sunday night football game and talked for a while before i had to get myself back to the hotel because the day had caught up with me big time although he he does make really good uh barbecue ribs i will say that 
<laughs> okay, uh, day six on Monday. Uh, I spent most of the day resting because that drive to and from Fun Spot really knocked me on my butt. If I had had my druthers and I had more money to spare, I would have just spent the night up there in New Hampshire and come back down Monday morning. But since I didn't, you know, I just just powered my way through it. Um, after getting myself together, I drove down to Milford to visit my friend Robert. I was finally able to meet his wife, and we spent a good two hours talking uh, before my friend Edgar showed up and we talked some more. Uh, it was good to see and talk to him. Day 7, which is Tuesday. Uh, it was uneventful in that I just basically got up early, packed up what little I didn't pack the night before, returned the rental car, got to my terminal in good order, and went home. The flight you know, went off without an incident, and I was able to get home. Oh, goodness. I want to say I got home probably about 2.30 or so in the afternoon. You know, then just went home and just chilled. And got right back to how my life was um this was a trip that i needed to take and i've said that a couple of times and I, it bears repeating it was wonderful to see family and friends i haven't seen since at least two, 2008 most since 2005 or later it was melancholy to see how much again my hometown had changed amusing to see that hardly anyone in the state drives the speed limit how much I thought the region was beautiful, even though I came before the leaves started changing in earnest. Uh, it was good to visit, and I fully plan on coming back with my son in tow to meet his family. I know it's something I've said before, but the Bridgeport, Stratford, Milford area needs an arcade, a dedicated arcade, not like the Dave and Buster's that's attached to the uh, Connecticut Post Mall. I mean, a free-play arcade in a central location would absolutely clean up. <laughs> if I had the money and the wherewithal, I'd do it myself. And that's just the truth. Okay, and that is story time. That's the breakdown of what happened over those seven days. So let's move right along, and let's get on to Are You Experienced? I'm too old for this. Hiding in front seats like a teenager. Oh, but I think I'm getting too old for this stuff. I'm getting too old for this. Listen, you was born too old for this. I'm getting too old for this. You're getting too old for this. Lying red arse to my heather chasing other men's cattle. I'm getting too old for this sort of thing. Maybe you're getting too old for this. What do you think, huh? I'm not too old for this shit. I'm not too old for this shit. You will not. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. Say like you believe. We're not too old for this shit. We're not too old for this shit. I'm not going to buy a hemorrhoid cushion. We're not too old for this shit. Are you experienced? Track and field. <laughs> this game. I mean, this is one of the games that I really had a little bit of a love and hate relationship with depending on which side of the fence I sat on at the time there were times I loved playing the game and times I hated it I don't know why exactly but you know it is what it is there's that's just how I felt about it okay so let's see let's move right to Wikipedia and let's get some information about the game Track and Field, also known as Hyper Olympic in Japan and Europe, is a 1983 Olympic sports theme video game developed by Konami for arcades. The Japanese release sported an official license for the 1984 Summer Olympics. I didn't know that. That's interesting. 
uh, in Europe, the game was initially released under the Japanese title Hyper Olympic in 1983 before re-releasing under the U.S. title Track and Field in early 1984. Players compete in a series of events, most involving alternating pressing two buttons as quickly as possible to make the on-screen character run faster. It has a horizontal side-scrolling format, depicting one or two tracks at a time, a large scoreboard that displays world records and current runs, and a packed audience in the background. The game was a worldwide commercial success in arcades, becoming one of the most successful arcade games of 1984. Konami and Century also held a 1984 track and field video game competition that drew more than a million players internationally, holding the record for the largest organized video game competition of all time as of 2016. It was followed by sequels, including Hypersports and simple, similar Olympic video games from other companies. It has led to a resurgence of arcade sports games and inspired the Namco's side-scrolling platform game Pac-Land, which was released in 1984. Okay, gameplay. In the original arcade game, the player uses two run buttons or a trackball in later units that replace buttons damaged from overuse. And yeah, they would get damaged from overuse. Uh, and one action button to control an athlete competing in the following six events. 100 meter dash, which is uh, done by running quickly using altern alternating button presses. Uh, long jump, running by alternating button presses and correct timing for the jump. Hold the jump button to set the angle. 42 degrees is optimal. I always thought it was 45, but okay. Uh, the javelin throw, running by alternating button presses and then using the action button cor to correct timing for... Uh, oh boy, this English is all messed up. Running by alternating button presses and then using the action button and correct timing to throw the javelin on the uh, for the proper angle. 43 degrees is optimal. I never knew that. Okay. Uh, 110 meter hurdles. Running by alternating button presses and using the action button to time jumps over the hurdles. Hammer throw. Spinning initiated by pressing a run button once and then correctly time press at the action button to choose the angle. 45 degrees is optimal. And finally, the high jump. Running, the speed is set by the computer, and then the action button must be held down to determine the angle of the jump. Once in the air, the run button can be rapidly pressed for additional height. Hmm, I didn't know that. Oh, they, 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 said, that, they said that that was debunked. Oh, okay, never mind. Uh, in each event, there is a qualifying time or level that the player must achieve in order to advance to the next event. Failing to qualify in one heat for running events or three tries in the other events will reduce the player's number of lives by one, but if none are present at his or her's disposal, the game will end. Players earn extra lives per 100,000 points scored. Uh, the game can accommodate up to four players who compete in pairs for the running events and individually for the others. If there are fewer than four players, the remaining slots are played by the computer or the player CPU. In all multiplayer heats, though, the relative performances of the players have no effect on the game, and advancing is solely based on qualifying times. While most multiplayer arcade games had each set of controls relative to the players going from left to right, this game, which has two sets of controls, had a somewhat different setup. The left set of controls were for players 2 and 4, while the right set was for players 1 and 3. Is that right? I think they have that reversed, but okay, I'll go with it. 
Uh, this is one of the few classic arcade games where a single-player mode was played on the right set of controls rather than the left. Hmm. I could have swore it's the other way around, but okay. If a player competes all six events after a brief medal ceremony, he or she is sent back to the field for another round with higher qualifying levels. However, the game can be configured to conclude after the final event. And that was like 99% of the track and field machines I played. As soon as you finished the high jump, the game was over. And your score was put up on the uh, high scoreboard. Uh, because the game responded to repeatedly, uh, repeatedly pressing the run buttons at high frequency, players in the arcade version <laughs> resorted to various tricks, such as rapidly swing, swiping a coin or ping pong ball over the buttons, or using a metal ruler which was repeatedly struck that it would vibrate and press the buttons. As a result, arcade operators reported high rates of damage to the buttons, and later ver versions had modifications to prevent such actions. Yes, they did. I'll talk about that in my experiences with the game. Okay, the release. Hyper Olympic was introduced at Tokyo's Amusement Machine Show in September of 1983. Despite the hype for Laserdisc games prior to the show, Hyper Olympic ended up being the most well-received game at the show. According to Cashbox Magazine, several people claimed that there were, quote, cursory similarities, end quote, to Activision Decathlon, which was introduced a month earlier. Yeah, there were. <laughs> I've destroyed several joysticks playing Decathlon, and yeah, there was a lot of similarities. Uh, Hyper Olympic was licensed a century for North American distribution. However, Atari had been chosen as the official Olympics video game sponsor, so Century were unable to complete to keep the title Hyper Olympic. It was subsequently introduced in North America as track and field at the Amusement and Music Operators Association show in October of 1983. Uh, despite the hype for Laserdisc games prior to the show, many operators and distributors ended up considering Track and Field to be the biggest hit at the event. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Alright, let's see. Let's do the ports real quick. Konami licensed the North American home video game rights to Atari Incorporated. They initially ported Track and Field to the Atari 2600 console and Atari 8-bit family followed by versions for the Apple II and Commodore 64 on the Atari Soft label. I have track and field for my Commodore 64. And yes, a port for the Atari 5200, identical to the Atari 8-bit computer version, was canceled. Yeah, because uh, in, what, like mid to late 84, uh, Atari, you know, shelved the 5200. That's why that happened. Uh, the 2600 version was amongst the new games to use Atari's super chip technology, enabling enhanced graphics and gameplay variety compared to what was previously possible on the 2600. When Konami ported track and field to the Famicom as Hyper Olympic, they only included four out of the six events. Afterwards, they converted Hypersports to the Famicom as well, this time including three of the Hypersports events and one more event from track and field. By the time the NES gained popularity in the United States, Konami retooled the game for release in America by including all eight events from both games in one cartridge. Of the original six events from track and field, only the hammer throw is missing. In its place, however, are skeet shooting, archery, and triple jump. The ZX Spectrum and Amstrad CPC versions were only released as part of the Game Set and Match 2 compilation in 1988 and are poorly regarded. 
Uh, the NES version of Track and Field was re-released in Europe in 1992 as Track and Field in Barcelona by Chemco in light of the 1992 Summer Olympics. The opening song for the NES version is the Chariots of Fire theme by Evangelis, which was also used in the arcade version's high score screen. And in a track mode, by the way. Because <laughs> I've seen it, I've seen that song being played in a tracked mode. Okay, moving on to the reception. Uh, in Japan, Game Machine listed Hyper Olympic as the top-grossing new table arcade cabinet in December 1983, and then the top-grossing table cabinet in January of 1984. The game sold 38,000 arcade hardware units in Japan by the end of 1983. Track and Field was also a hit in North America. Despite requiring physical interaction from players, the game enjoyed continued success in North America throughout the first half of 1984. It topped the U.S. Replay Upright Cabinet charts in February of 1984 and May of 1984, and was the top-grossing arcade game of June 1984. How about that? Uh, it went on to become the third highest grossing arcade game of 1984 in the United States. In Europe, it was the highest grossing arcade game of 1984 in the United Kingdom. The arcade game received positive reviews upon release. Gene Lewin of Playmeter Magazine scored it an 8 out of 10, but, say, but said it would be a definite 10 if released as, more, as a more affordable conversion kit. <laughs> okay. The review called it the best dedicated arcade game at the AMOA 1983 show and praised the gameplay, excellent graphics, fantastic sound, and originality, stating that having, quote, Different track and field events is an original idea, end quote, and certainly different than other sports games based on baseball, football, or basketball. Computer and video games called it, quote, a great game for all you armchair sports enthusiasts, end quote, but said it could cause a cramped finger. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, reviews for the home conversions varied depending on the platforms. Computer Entertainer reviewed the Atari 2600 version in 1984, scoring it 7 out of 8 stars. David M. Wilson and Johnny L. Wilson reviewed the home com computer conversions for Computer Gaming World and stated that, quote, the game is primarily a joystick buster, end quote. Yeah, it is. Uh, Stuart Campbell, writing in Your Sinclair in 1992, considered the Spectrum version to be one of the worst games ever released for the machine. Well, in all fairness, the Sinclair is just not a good game computer. I don't know why people keep thinking that somehow it is, but that's just one man's opinion. Okay, in 1996, Next Generation listed the track and field series as collectively number 78 on their top 100 games of all time, remarking, quote, okay, so the game's playstyle has little to do with skill, at or even knowledge of the actual sports, but so what? In a test of pure button-pushing endurance, nothing can beat track and field, especially when you play with four players, end quote. In 1995, Flux Magazine ranked the arcade version 65th in its top 100 video games. Okay, let's go on to the competition. In 1984, Konami and Century jointly held an international track and field video game competition that drew more than a million players from across Japan and North America. Playmeter in 1984 called it, quote, the coin-op event of the year, end quote, and an event on a scale never before achieved in the industry. 
As of 2016, it holds the record for the largest organized video game competition of all time, according to Guinness Book of World Records. The Twin Galaxies official video game and pinball of World Records arcade volume list history's largest video game contest as the 1984 March of Dimes International Konami Century Track and Field Challenge. The editor said, quote, more than 1 million contestants played track and field between April 30th and May 26th, hoping to be one of uh, among three finalists going to Japan to represent the USA. As a fundraiser for the March of Dimes, the, uh, the event was held in Aladdin's Castle Arcades and National Convenience Stores. Gary West of Oklahoma City won the U.S. Finals, but Phil Britt of Riverside, California won the World Championship in Tokyo on June 10th, 1984. Nice. On December 18, 2008, Hector Rodriguez of California scored a world record 95,350 points. Rodriguez beat the 23-year-old record of 95,040 points set on June 30, 1985 by Kelly Kobashigawa of Los Angeles during Twin Galaxies' 1985 video game Masters Tournament in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Cool. All right. And let's see. Finally, the legacy. While not the first Olympic track and field game, it was preceded by Olympic Decathlon in 1980 and Activision Decathlon in August of 1983, track and field spawned other similar Olympic video games following its release. For example, Ocean Software adapted the gameplay format into Daily Thompson's Decathlon, released in 1984. Epix released its own multi-event collection as Summer Games and then Summer Games 2. Dynamic published Video Olympic for the ZX Spectrum in 1984. Bandai's entry was Stadium Events for the NES in 1986. Hmm, how about that? Track and Field had an impact on the wider sports video game genre, leading to a resurgence for the genre in arcades during the 1980s. Following the release of Track and Field, the arcade industry began producing sports games at levels not seen since the days of Pong and its clones nearly a decade earlier. Sports video games became popular after track and field with a number of successful sports arcade games in 1984, including Nintendo's boxing game Punch-Out, the Nintendo Versus System title Versus Tennis and Versus Baseball, Taito's American football game Ten-Yard Fight, and the golf game Birdie King 2, and Data East Tag Team Wrestling. I would also add um, Konami's... Uh, Super Basketball in 1984, and Double Dribble in 1986. I would add it to that list. <clears throat> to continue, Namco's Yoshihiro Kishimoto cited track and field as the biggest influence on side-scrolling platform game Pac-Land, which was released in 1984. The game's controls were heavily influenced by track and field, which allowed the player to become faster by constantly tapping the button in succession. Kishimoto thought that the idea was interesting and that it would make Pac-Land stand out amongst other games. And they have a small little list of uh, sequels, starting, of course, with Hypersports in uh, 1984 in the arcade, Track and Field 2, Hyper Olympic 2, also in 84 for the MSX, Konami 88 in the arcade, Track and Field 2 for the NES, Track and Field for the Game Boy, International Track and Field in 96 for the arcade, PlayStation, and PlayStation, I'm sorry, Hyper Olympics in Nagano in 1998, Arcade N64 and PlayStation, International Track and Field 2000, which was released in 1999, PlayStation, uh, Nintendo 64, Game Boy Color, uh, Dreamcast, and PlayStation 2, 
Konami Sports Series in 2001 for mobile phones. Uh, Hypersports 2002 Winter. Uh, GameCube, PlayStation 2, Xbox, and Game Boy Advance. Uh, new International Track and Field in 2008, which was for the DS. Hypersports Winter 2010 for the iPhone. And Hypersports Track and Field also 2010 for the iPhone. How about that? <laughs> Interesting. Okay, so that is uh, Track and Field, the information from Wikipedia. Uh, let's move on to my experiences from it. This game came ahead of the 1984 Summer Olympics in Los Angeles, and it was pretty much everywhere. Bolarama had it, Trumbull Mall, Trumbull Mall Arcade had it, the Rexall Drugstore had it, Milford Rec had it, Spanky's had it, even the News Corner had it for a while. The game had close to universal coverage, meaning that almost everywhere I went, that game was there. I think even the Bridgeport train station had it, and it did. Uh, with the exception of Mark, we all used the pen trick until operators started putting button guards on the machines, and the people would just remove them. Uh, some of, the, Most of the time, they would remove them by cutting the guards off with razor blades, believe it or not. It was crazy, because that was what happened to the track and field machine in Bolarama. The one day it showed up with button guards so you couldn't use the pen trick, and somebody vandalized it and basically cut the uh, the button guards out. Uh, let's see. Mark was the only one I knew who had the manual dexterity to use a flicking style with the fingers of his left hand and a rapid button mash with his right hand. The hammer toss and the high jump were where the men were separated for the bo from the boys on this game. We were all always shooting for the records with this game, and the competition would get fierce. Uh, Milford Rec had a trackball machine, which I th think was a century version of the machine, but it, it isn't because every uh, track and field machine, as I learned, was released through century. So, uh, And I also told the story about how I used a leather glove to avoid blisters when I was playing the game. Basically, using the hundred, running the hundred meter dash, long jump, javelin toss, and hundred ten meter hurdles, you know, I'm basically just rolling that rolling that trackball as hard as I can, you know. And the smell of burning leather would waft up from, I think it was my left hand, uh, because I was trying to get that ever loose, ever elusive max speed of fifteen hundred centimeters per second. <laughs> this was a great game, and its sequel was arguably better. Uh, I would do a time for some strategy, but it basically comes down to these things. Um, for the 100 meters long jump, javelin toss, and 100 meter, 110 meter hurdles, it's about getting as much speed as you can and getting the degree angles right. In the hammer toss, you use your first toss to qualify, then you use your second toss and third toss to try to toss the ham hammer down the line and get your angle at 40, uh, 45 degrees, and you will get close to 100 meter distance. Uh, the high jump is all about timing and working the angle of your athlete while he's in the air to clear the crossbar. I just watched a video on YouTube where this one guy who uh, was playing assisted, which means he had some sort of like turbo button or something going on. Uh, he basically crushed all the world records on the machine, found all the hidden 1,000 point bonuses, and showed how broken the game was when you did certain things. Um, like you couldn't go past 100 meters when throwing the javelin because it would just reset back to zero once you threw it past 100 meters. It was, that was really weird. Um, 
He also showed how to get past 2.5 meters in the high jump and higher, and how the game break and basically how the game breaks after you clear 2.56 meters. He got all the way to 4.85 meters before the high jump reset to 2.30 meters, and he just let the game go from there. We're absolutely crazy. <laughs> so yeah, that's fa that's track and field. You know, the information off Wikipedia and my personal experiences with it. So if you've got any sort of uh, tips and tricks, you played this game a lot when, back in the day, hey, tell me about it. ArcadeAddictBrian at gmail.com and also on Linktree. That's linktr-ee slash arcadeaddictbrian. All right, and finally, we're going to go on the road. Uh, I record. I did two recordings, uh, one on my way up to Fun Spot, and then another one coming from Fun Spot. Um, and you heard what I said in the rundown, and you'll hear probably a little bit more of it in greater detail or greater explanation as uh, I'm driving out of uh out of new hampshire trying to get back into connecticut so yeah all right get in buckle up we're going for a drive so you guys have you know good gaming out there stay safe stay sane have fun out there because you know have fun when you can because life will mess with you like that and you won't have as much au revoir <laughs> folks brian here just a quick little note uh the almost hour recording i did while i was driving up to fun spot was pretty much a verbatim uh description of the previous five days that i uh related to you guys at the top of the show so i'm just going to let that go and i'm going to move on to the uh thoughts I had when I was leaving Fun Spot. So, uh, my apologies and I'll see you guys again for episode number 70. Hey folks, Brian here. On the road, heading back from Fun Spot. Um, let's see. So, um, when last we left off, I was looking for a place to eat. Either that or I did eat. Or something. I can't remember. <laughs> you know, all these uh, segments are starting to run together in my head. Um, uh, basically, I stopped about 30 minutes from uh, Fun Spot in Laconia, and I uh, got something to eat at a Wendy's. You know, the usual chicken sandwich and uh, some and a Coke to drink the usual thing, you know, and got up to, you know, got up there in pretty short order. It was only like 30 minutes away. So, and what, and on my way there, you know, when I got within like, oh, whoops, what the hell? Why is it doing that? It shouldn't be doing that. 
this transmission is starting to crap on me, going to crap on me, I'm not going to be happy. Um, so, yeah, I got there in, in pretty decent order, you know, walked in the place, took a selfie. You know, I'm going to have to post that on Instagram when I uh, get back to uh, get back to my hotel or whenever that's going to be because... I'm pretty much going to have to go straight to uh, my cousin's house. Um, you know, my ETA is like uh, three hours and five minutes. You know, I mean, I'm still, you know, on the uh, still on the uh, what's a face. still on uh, Route 106 heading down towards uh, Interstate 393, you know, in order to get on 93 to start the trip back down. We'll see if I can make up some time once I get to the highway. Um, so I went in, um, saw that you could pay for, you could pay for, um, pay for your tokens with uh, a credit card. Although I tried to use my debit card, it wouldn't work. I tried to use another debit card, it wouldn't work. That's kind of strange in and of itself. And uh, I got, um, I had to use uh, my credit card, which I didn't really want to do. And I paid for all that and you know, paid for it. Unfortunately, you can only get $20 in tokens. I don't know why. That's a bit of a, that, that sort of, that whole experience sort of soured me from the start of just a little bit, but I just said, okay, fine. I'm here. I don't feel like going somewhere to get like, you know, uh, a $10 bill or, you know, or something like that. You know, I didn't feel like doing that. And I just paid for the card, got 110 tokens. And because I knew I wasn't in the time that I had allotted for going, you know, for playing in this place, I wasn't going to be able to new, do, uh, do all of them, you know, use all of them. So, yeah, so I just basically went in and started playing games. I got my, I got my tokens and I just put them in, put them in my hoodie pocket and started playing games. Um, once again, and I ran into this issue with Galloping Ghost. I ran into this issue with a bunch of other places. I have this issue with Pinball Pete's, you know, like I said, you know, I, I already did my, uh, rough notes for, uh, a rundown and review for the place but you know I was disappointed by the number of machines that were either not working at all or not working properly there were more than a few games that their monitors had to be recapped because the there was just no brightness to the screen I mean, they had a Star Castle machine that was actually working and I was happy to see it, but the screen was so dim that I didn't even want to try to play it. You know, Star Castle is a game that you just can't 
you have to see everything going on on that game. I played a game of Frenzy, and the monitor was so dim that I couldn't see the robots shooting at me diagonally. And thing, you know, just things like that. And the controls not working 100%. Uh, I played uh, TNK3 um, and the uh, turning the turret button was uh, a little bit of an exercise, exercise of frustration. Um, same thing with the Akari Warriors machine. Um, I play, you know, the Kung Fu Master game played pretty good. Um, let's see, what else, what else played pretty good? The, um, the Space Fury machine played pretty good. You know, I was really happy to see that they had, you know, some, some games I was really happy to see because I haven't seen them in a long time. And I'll have to tell Mark they had a Pandora's Palace. <laughs> um, what else? So, but... Yeah, but as far as the games that weren't working, their upright Star Wars wasn't working. Their uh, Tempest machine wasn't working at all. The Star Wars machine, the environmental Star Wars machine, the monitor needed to be recapped or at least um, tinkered with because it wasn't... Um, that wasn't working properly either. And... Just like I said, for every machine that worked really well, like the um, the Super Sprint machine worked okay, even if the uh, center coin slot wasn't working and they had it taped off, you know, but the, the game itself worked very well. I played it and I did fairly well at the game. Um, the Matahari machine had a horrible... Uh, tilt to the left if anything if anything if a ball went anywhere towards the left side of the machine it was going down the it was going down the, the it was going to drain down the, the left side it, you know it just was um, the Paragon machine uh, it, it just that thing just needed a little TLC to make it really work well. Um, I did play the, the, they did have a Hercules machine. I played a game that was kind of, eh, it was okay, but it wasn't great, you know, but then again, those machines are really hard to maintain. So it's just there more for the historic, the history of it, the historic significance, I guess because basically you're using uh, a billiard ball to play uh, pinball. The flippers were weak. And, you know, it's just little things like that. It's like, you know, all, you know the, all the games I played, it's like out of, I think I played maybe like 20, 25 machines. And out of that number, like I want to say 10 of them had issues, you know, and that's just kind of disappointing. And, oh, there's the New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Cool. That's probably where uh, NASCAR played. Uh, or do they run up in Concord? I can't remember. But uh, I think that's the speed. I think that's the actual speedway. But anyway, um, so I wasn't happy about that. 
and just the more machines I played, the more unhappy I got. I, now, I'm not going to go out on a limb and say they should have every machine working 100% tip top because that's really hard when you have, was it 200 something machines? They had them sectioned off too, which I thought was cool. You know, they had the Atari section, they had a uh, Data East section. Yep, that's that's the major speedway. Yep, that's that's it. I'm looking right at it. That's where they run NASCAR. Um, yeah, New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Yep, that's the one. That's the one. You can you you know just by look. I'm looking at the grandstands, and yeah, it's pretty huge. Anyway, moving right along. Um, but it's like these the pinball machines need to be the, the some of the pinball machines need to be leveled okay nine miles to, to 393 Ugh. and you know the pin some of the pins need to be leveled some of them needed to be out out and out repaired um and i was just like you know this was turning into how I felt when I was at Galloping Ghost. Now, with Galloping Ghost, I spent twice the amount of time there. I spent a good solid six hours in Galloping Ghost between the main arcade and the pinball arcade. You know, I just went back and forth. Um, I only could spare three hours here because, you know, I have, because my because my cousins want to see me and you know my cousins want to see me and you know it's going to be at least a year or two before I get back out this way again you know if I don't decide to go somewhere else first you know I mean I would love to be able to put away like you know be able to save like you know a couple thousand dollars and just take Marcus with me and have him meet his uh, meet his family, meet his uncles, meet his aunts, meet his cousins, that kind of thing. But I have to plan this stuff accordingly. Anyway, um, yeah. So, and the three hours was up a lot quicker than I thought it would be. I mean, some of the games I was having a lot of fun playing. You know, it wasn't all just disappointment. It wasn't. I'm going to be fair about that. You know, it wasn't all just disappointment. You know, there was a lot that there were quite a few games that worked well, that looked good, played well. And, you know, I give them credit for that. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, Falcor 781 was right. He went up here uh, a couple of years ago, at least a year ago, and he and I asked him point because he was streaming live from there. He was playing games. He was playing Thief, you know, and other stuff there. But you know, he said it. It's like a lot of these games don't work right. You know, a lot of these games are down, and they need to be fixed. You know. I mean, he wasn't pulling any punches when he said any of that. So I was just like, okay, I just basically took that 
you know, I took that to heart pretty much. And, but it wasn't going to stop me from coming up here, you know, now, uh, I'm on the, you know, now it's like, I'm like a little less than three hours. I'm still in New Hampshire. I'm trying to get to the highway so I can, you know, put the pedal and you know, put the pedal down and, you know, make up a little time because the way it's going right now, I'm not going to get back in the area till like nine o'clock. Now, I'm just hoping that, you know, my cousin Michael is okay with that. I mean, I told him that I wouldn't be back until, um, I wouldn't be back until, um, you know, between eight and nine. And it's looking like it's a little closer to nine now because it's like already five minutes to six, you know, and hopefully I can get my butt on the highway and, and, you know, make up a little time getting back. So, I mean, I like the place, but yeah, they need to fix their machines. That's the bottom line. I wish it wasn't like that, but like I told you guys, when I did, when I started doing this podcast, I started reviewing arcades. I have to be honest, you know, I have to report on what I've seen and what I've experienced. And that's what it is, you know? So, I mean, it's, it's good to go up there once for, you know, the nostalgia, like Mark and Steve should probably uh, take a trip up here, you know, just take a day and just, you know, go up there. I mean, who cares? I mean, his kids are, his kids are grown or close enough to grown that it doesn't make a difference. So, you know, take, you know, take his wife, you know, go with Steve and his girlfriend and just make like a day of it, you know, just playing games and stuff. I mean, Mark would love it because there are games up there that I haven't seen since those days when you know, Mark and I were playing games, you know, he was playing like games at the bowling alley. He was playing games at uh, the Trommel Mall Arcade. He was playing games at uh, Spanky's, at uh, Milford Rack, at Connecticut Post Mall Arcade, Arnie's Place, all those places. He was there. He was there. There are a lot of those machines I haven't seen since then. So, I mean, it's really cool to see, but yeah once you start playing some of them, yeah, it's a little disappointing. (sighs) All right. So I'm going to put the pedal down here in a little bit. Once we get to the highway and try to make up a little time, the traffic ahead of me is not obliging me by the way. Like people are only doing like 50 and a 55 and it's starting to get my nerves a little bit, but you know, I think I'll be okay once I get on the highway and I get down through New Hampshire, back into uh, Massachusetts, and just, you know, once I get into Connecticut and just, you know, kind of make up a little time here and there. So anyway, all right, I'm going to focus on driving. So this is Brian saying, have fun out there. Good gaming. Au revoir. You have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. All music has been provided by Kevin McLeod. You can find his music at incompetech.com. You can contact the show by voicemail at area code 734-623-0832. You can also contact the show through voicemail at rkdaddictbrian at gmail.com. And all links pertaining to the show can be found at Linktree. That's linktr.ee slash rkdaddictbrian. 
So until next time, you have been listening to the Confessions of an Arcade Addict podcast. See you then.